All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Today, we are diving into something called the apocalyptic texts. And really what that means is the, the apocalypse, the end times, the doom and gloom, as Hollywood likes to portray it. And if you think of the word apocalypse, you might have all sorts of scary imagery that comes to mind. In fact, Pastor Jim's uh, kids' message is right on target. We have this fear that's unwarranted because Hollywood's kind of created that for us, to be quite honest. If you think of all the end time movies, it's all awful, right? So we're looking now at this conversation in the, the beginning of the 13th chapter of Mark. And it's Jesus and his disciples. And I think that we can kind of empathize with what these disciples are feeling. Because here they're walking out of this amazing, amazing temple. And as this uh, temple had been rebuilt by Herod. And so what they say to Jesus is just look at this magnificent building, Jesus. Oh my goodness. And they're in awe of this. And here they're, they're looking at the architect. They're looking at the grandeur. Some of you sitting here right now might be looking at the architect and the grandeur. And as they're, they're fussing over this, we know that the um, historian Josephus tells us that in the day of Jesus, this temple was in fact a wonder of the world. Some of the stones were as long as 40 feet as wide as 18, as tall as 12. Think of how big and massive that is. And these stones were put one on top of the other. So what they were looking at was not only um, this, these big rocks, but like an unbelievable feat to assemble this. And then the front of it was gold. So as the sun shone off of that gold, it almost like pierced them with the brightness, the fire of this magnificence. And so they're so taken by this. And when they mention it to Jesus, what does Jesus say? Yeah, yeah, that's great, but it's all going to be destroyed. And I'm sure these guys are just looking at him like, what are you talking about? And the only thing I could even relate that to in our context are the Twin Towers. Like none of us would have imagined that those Twin Towers at 9-11 would have been crumbled into a, a heap of, of just debris. It, we couldn't even wrap our brains around it. Much like these guys right here, they didn't even think it was possible for this temple to be destroyed. But what's even more incredible than this prediction by Jesus is the fact that this was completely fulfilled. This actually happened. So we can say that Jesus was probably speaking these words about 30 AD. And then if we fast forward to about 66 AD, that's when war erupted between the Jews and the Roman Empire. And by 70 AD is when Rome utterly destroyed Herod's temple. And literally, it was leveled to the ground. Literally every last stone. And if we go back to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, not a Christian historian, he actually lived through that war. And he described it just as Jesus said, that no stone was left upon another. So when the disciples heard this, this, this startling prediction, this panic set in. And they wanted to know immediately, like, when will this happen? What are the signs? What are the, the clues for us? They want the inside scoop. I mean, they do have Jesus right in front of them, right? And when Jesus answers them, Jesus is in turn answering us. 
I mean, think of the context. These Jews were absolutely nuts about their temple. It was a source of social life, source of spiritual life, source of everything. They can't comprehend the destruction. And that they also know this. In the past, every time a temple was destroyed, it was because of a major judgment by God. So if another temple was actually destroyed, as Jesus is predicted, predicting, they are viewing this as an end-of-the-world event. So they are saying, for that temple to be destroyed, their world is destroyed. So at face value, when Jesus responds to them, it sounds like he's answering, you know, how, what, what we do in this temple is going to be destroyed. But what he does, instead of telling them what clues to look for and how to avoid it, he just gives them tools to understand what to expect. He says, listen, here are some guidelines. You're going to face disasters. You're going to face catastrophes. You are going to face the end of the world as you know it. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat this. And he tries to tell them to be aware that there are going to be people who come and try to stray you away by saying that they're the Messiah. He also says that these nations are going to fight. We're going to have earthquakes. We're going to have famines. We're going to have all of this. And folks, it isn't going to be easy. He tells us right out, this world's going to have trouble. So why we have this vision that it's not is beyond me because Jesus says it more times than not. And he says that these, we're going to have people that try to convince us of things that will ultimately separate us from God and will separate us from each other. We will start to put our faith in powers that are not of God. Can you think of anything in our world today that's doing that? There are lots of things that are trying to separate us. There are lots of things that are trying to pull us away from God that are claiming to be our Savior. We are going to witness hunger and pain and poverty and war and destruction. And it's going to stink and it won't be pretty. So when we think about this, like Jesus warns us of this. We know it's going to happen. And yet somehow we still keep trying to control what's in front of us, right? I mean, if you think about things that control us in this country, often it's having the biggest house or the fastest car or the highest paying job. All these things that when you step back and you look at them, none of that really matters because it can all disappear in a blink of an eye. And yet we hold them as really high standards in our culture. And they all can just go away. So it's not about how much we can amass in this earthly journey. It's definitely not about the things of this world that claim us, that try to give us new life, that offer us security. Because anything of this world can crumble and fall. All of it is temporary. So what matters most are the things that are eternal. And when we listen to the words of Jesus, what we realize, living in the love of God, caring for our neighbor, focusing on God's mercy and grace, these are things that are eternal. These are things that can't be shaken. We can leave the end times for God to worry about because we have a different assignment. 
And our assignment is to go into the world and share that love, which is the, the foundation of our faith. Which means it's not about us. When we make it about us, we're going to watch those walls tumble around us. When we make it about others, we'll experience the eternal love of God. But how often do we sit in our day and we think, oh, the world is ending. It feels like our world is ending around us. If I just take you through a little journey of a very privileged life, you might look at a baby who wants their bottle and they scream like crazy because to them the end of the world is happening. Or a toddler who doesn't get the toy that they want so they throw a tantrum because of the, it's the end of the world. Or a first grader who doesn't get to be first in line. If you've ever seen that, it's the end of the world. Or a middle schooler who gets a zit on the end of their nose and has to hide under the covers now. They can't go to school because it's the end of the world. Or a high schooler who has their first breakup. That is the end of the world. Or that college kid who finally thinks that they've made it and they graduate and realize they can't live anywhere but their parents' basement. That's the end of the world. Or that couple who now has a child and they turn out to be an addict. That's the end of the world. Or the person who gets laid off and can't provide for the family. That is the end of the world. Or maybe that diagnosis that's going to cut every dream short. It's the end of the world. Or the spouse who finds themselves alone because they just buried their loved one. It's the end of the world. And as we know it, all of these things feel like the end of the world. And as a privileged white person, I can stand there and I can tell you all that, but what about our friends who have to sleep between doorways at night? That's the end of the world. Or those that have to choose between feeding their children or buying medication. It's the end of the world. There are so many big things in our world that we hyper-focus on ourselves and how the troubles we are facing are the end of the world. When in the big picture, God is like, listen, folks, let me worry about all these troubles. You just love on each other because everybody is experiencing the end of the world. It's so easy to only see our world. And when we focus only on our world, guess what? We're going to be sorely disappointed. Because as Jesus says, it's going to crumble. As Jesus tells us, jobs will come to an end. Relationships will change. Physical health will diminish. Everything that we look at as important on this side of the grave will change, will crumble. But that is when Jesus says, there is something eternal to hang on to. There is something that's unconditional, something that will not crumble no matter what, and that is the love of God. And you hear us up here every week reminding you of this, and somehow we still don't get it through our heads because we still put our worth in what other people think of us instead of what God thinks of us. We still worry about all the stuff that this world tells us is important instead of recognizing that if we really put our faith and trust in God, we will never fall short. We will never fall short because we will always be enough in the eyes of our Savior.
We have this God of the universe that literally has hand-picked each and every one of us and created us in his image. That same God sent his son to suffer for us, to die for our sins, to resurrect and conquer death so that you and I could experience this love that is far from temporary, but one is eternal, one that becomes our cornerstone, our solid foundation in our lives. But Jesus tells us when we focus on anything of this world, we're going to always find ourselves disappointed. Always. And I can tell you right now, every person sitting here is thinking of a time they've been disappointed by this world. People have let you down. Dreams didn't unfold as you had hoped. Life takes a left turn unexpectedly. And we're disappointed. And Jesus is saying that is okay because it was supposed to happen. But what will never fail is the hope that's been poured into you by the Holy Spirit. That will not disappoint you. That will not waver. I've been in villages of Mexico and I've been with these families who are literally living in a cardboard box with the scraps of a tarp hanging over their head and they are radiant with joy. And I think, how can you be filled with joy? This life is miserable. You sleep in mud. And they're filled with joy because they're not letting this world define what joy is. They're filled with joy because nothing of their circumstances can take away how much Jesus loves them. They don't measure the love of Jesus based on what material things they have. They measure the love of Jesus by the faith they have in their heart, knowing that that love will never waver. I've been in the slums of Kampala in Uganda, and we literally walked into a house one time that was being swallowed by the earth because the mud was giving way. And this woman said, come, come into my house. And we had a duck in because the house was getting so small from swallowing, being shrunk down. And she sang praises to the Lord. And my first reaction in this American lens is, we got to get you the heck out of here. This is awful. And she was just so grateful that she had a Jesus who saw her, who loved her. Can you shift your perspective to recognize that it's not about what this earth, this world, this American culture says is important, but about what Jesus says? How often do you worry about things that are not eternal? I have a 17-year-old son named Charlie, and I told you last week that he's impossible to wake up. He is not a morning person. On the four-minute drive to school, eight-minute drive, whatever it is, he sleeps every morning, right? So Charlie's not a morning person. And he tells me on Tuesday, Mom, I have to go to Butler University for a recruiting visit on Saturday. And I couldn't take him. I already, my other son was playing football. We had plans. There, I, I, too many pieces to maneuver. And I said, Charlie, if you're going to do this trip, you got to figure it out. You're going to have to go alone. I've never let this kid who is not a morning person drive early in the morning, mainly for four and a half hours. And he said, I'm going to do it. So I was absolutely sick to my stomach. I was convinced he was not going to come back in one piece. So Friday night, I, didn't, I couldn't sleep. I laid in bed and I bargained with God in every way that I knew I shouldn't, but I did. And I just said, God, just have the angels, just drive the car for him. So I was worried 
beyond worried. And Charlie gets up at four in the morning, gets in the car, drives through a horrible snowstorm, and makes it to Indy. And the entire time, I couldn't, I couldn't rest, so I went into prayer, and I'm sitting in my prayer chair, and I'm talking to God, and all of a sudden it came over me, because I'd been prepping for this message, and I, I realized I was doing the exact thing I'm telling you not to do. I was worrying about things that I have no control over. So I finally said, all right, God, lesson learned. It's all yours. I know you love Charlie. I know whether Charlie comes home in one piece or not, you're with him. And I literally let it go. I enjoyed the day with my other kids. We went and watched Luke win a championship. It was this beautiful, glorious day. I checked in with Charlie. And guess what? He came home in one piece. And I learned a lesson from that surrender. I learned that there was so much freedom by letting go of the worry. I couldn't control it. I couldn't control anything that would have happened to Charlie on that ride. But I could bask in the comfort of knowing that God was with him regardless. Where in your life can you do that? Because there is so much peace in knowing that no matter what happens in this world, because we are children of God, God is with us. I have to admit it's hard to trust like that though. When we watch all the catastrophes around us, it's hard to believe that God is going to take care of things. We know that people are dying. We know that people are starving. We know that people are in poverty. We know all that exists. But we also know that God has called us to be loved in those situations. The Lord says there's going to be struggles, but we do not need to fix our eyes upon that. All you and I are doing, instead of searching for the signs that the end of time is coming, and we've done a lot of that in the last two years in a pandemic, instead of that, we are to be living a life which is a gift that we are allowed to share with others. And it's a gift of love. So don't hyper-focus on the final days. If you do that, you'll miss the opportunity to be the face of Jesus to somebody. Focus instead on the eternal. Focus instead on the love of our creator. Focus on the forgiveness of our savior. Focus on the hope that the spirit has given us. And in the end, we know that the love of God will reign. We know that as believers, we will be called to the great banquet table where surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And together we'll dwell in the house of the Lord. That is a promise made to us. So friends, whatever end of the world you are facing right now, have hope in knowing that you have a God who loves you beyond comprehension. Have hope that God is in your corner. Your worth is defined by not what you have done, but what, by what Jesus has done for you. And when you realize that, you don't need to micromanage God's judgment. You don't need to seek out all the ways that the end is going to come. Instead, just conform your life to live into that vision of love and peace that God has for the world. And instead of playing the blame game, which we all do so well, of when things go wrong in our life, use them as learning lessons 
Go and be of service to somebody else so that they'll get to know who Jesus is. And instead of being wowed by the wonders of this world, be wowed by the fact that we have a just and merciful God who gives us this gift of love, which is indeed a rich inheritance. Let's pray. Jesus, aren't we a bunch of crybabies and whiners often? We always want everything in our world to be just perfect or else we start telling people that God's let us down or we start blaming you for the hardship. When all along you made it very clear this road isn't going to be easy, but it's a small part of our eternal existence. And what's always right there waiting for us is your love and your peace. So Lord, when we miss that, as we do every day, direct us, fill us with your spirit so we can learn to let go of these great worries that we drag around. And instead, we can just bask in the knowledge that you're in our corner, you're fighting for us. Your love is eternal. It's the one thing that is unshakable, that can't collapse, that's going nowhere. And for that, Lord, we are so grateful. So when we miss it and when we forget it, Lord, we just invite you to help us see the wonders of your love in our life. Thank you for blessing us like you do. In your holy name we pray. Amen.